What happens when we face difficult conversations? These conversations can heal. They can foster forgiveness. They can inspire and change perspective. Lean into these stories and discussions. I think both our guests and our listeners will find value in them. And selfishly, I know I will too. While many areas over the last several decades have seen significant social progress, others have not been so fortunate. On today's episode of Lean In, we'll talk about one of those areas, and our guest will talk about how he was able to overcome personal and societal hurdles to become something that is relatively rare in our society today, a black man in medicine. So today's guest on Lean In is a friend of mine, Ochije Okanya, who is a rising third-year medical student. We, unironically, I guess, met at the barbershop uh, and have have developed a friendship. And there are a lot of things that, that I want to talk about with, with Ochije. We, we call him Och. So there's a lot of things I want to talk about with Och. First of all, thanks for spending some time to, to do this because you are in the middle of studying for probably the most important tests <laughs> in your life, your step test. So I appreciate you making some time to come chat today. Oach, I think you and I are in a relatively unique position because we are black men in medicine. And as we both know, um, that's becoming pretty rare, right? And um, I sent you an article that a friend sent to me that really uh, I think is worth some discussion. And this came out just a few weeks ago. And basically, it said that since 1978, we have not seen any increases in black men in medical school. And actually, as of 2019, there was a decrease relative to the amount of black men in medicine in 1978. 2.9% of medical students are black males. And if you take out the contribution of historically black medical colleges, that number drops to 2.4%. So just for starters, what, how does that make you feel? What, what are your thoughts on, on the, the issues that we're facing in terms of just complete lack of representation of those that look like you and I uh, in medicine? Well, I'm shocked by that number. I mean, I really thought it was a little closer to 5%. And to hear about that article, to see that it's that low, it's, it's just shocking. But I feel it. I feel it every day. Uh, just people's reaction to what I'm doing, it just to see their surprise and their admiration for it. You can tell that it's something that you don't come across every day, you know, a black man in medicine. And I see it in my school, in my class. You know, I'm one of maybe five or 10 black students, male and female out of about 120. And, you know, I just feel like there's really not 
a lot of room for us to really be ourselves and really express ourselves because we feel like we're in a field that, you know, is not our own, you know, kind of outsiders. So it's definitely been a struggle for me personally, um, as great as my institution is. I'm just feeling kind of on an island, you know, separated, so different from all of my classmates, knowing that we have such an important thing in common, but just our backgrounds are just so different. I'm a little bit older as well. So being 32 and being a black male at my school is just extra rare. Um, And so it it surprises me a lot. Um, And it's just, it's, it's sad that we don't have more opportunities um, and that there's not more programs trying to recruit minorities into medicine and and that type of thing. Yeah, and I think what's I think particularly bothersome for me is when there are underrepresented minorities who have crossed the numerous hurdles to get into medical school, their chances for success in, in medical school don't equal the rest of the class. And in a world where we put so much emphasis on test scores. We rely on test scores as being a predictor of success, right? That's what the whole MCAT thing is about and why admissions programs really focus so much on GPA and test scores, right? But what we know is that even if underrepresented minorities have really good grades or test scores, their chances of success in medical school are less than their counterparts who have similar test scores and, and GPAs. And a lot of that has to do with kind of what you alluded to, that that feeling of being out of place and, and not belonging. How early on in your, you know, your your couple of years of med school did you start to feel out of place or isolated or pretty soon, as soon as I got there, I mean, you kind of just you know, I was accepted into a bridge program that my school had, which was really targeted for um, minorities and uh, people of socioeconomic disadvantage. And that was kind of my way to get into medical school in the first place based on having a little bit lower of a GPA from college. And um, I saw that opportunity and I took it. And so already I felt like I had to really prove myself coming in. And so I had to do a whole extra year just transitioning into my first year. So that was really tough for me. You know, we didn't get our white coats um, to start off. We had to do these kind of preliminary classes for a, for a whole year um, to prepare us for the actual first year of medical school. So again, we didn't get our white coats. We didn't get to really take anatomy and the real stuff that you look forward to when you get to medical school. And so just feeling like I had to prove myself and I was one of 10 uh, bridge students, most of us were black, you know, or minorities. And so, but at the same time, we're in school, well, we're in certain classes with the first years, you know, and so just being there, but feeling unequal, like, you know, it, it was really a challenge for me. And looking back, that bridge year was really beneficial to me in the long run. It's really helping me to appreciate where I'm at now and what I had to do to get here. And but like you said, Jabron, it's been, you know, since day one, really, that I felt like just separated and and it's hard to reach out and, and find someone to talk to about it. You know, you don't want to feel or show any insecurity in an environment like that. You know, you want to 
just um, be confident and and seem like you have it all together in in the field that we're in. And so I think that makes it especially tough as well. I think for a lot of medical students, no matter what their background, a bit of uh, imposter syndrome, right, where you assume that everybody there is brilliant and geniuses and they went to all these prestigious colleges and you're just trying to fight through it. Right. The honest truth is everybody, almost everybody feels like that. But when you deal with, you know, what we what we call stereotype threat, that expectation of, you know, being black and and a black male and that expectation that you're not going to be able to succeed, that added pressure impacts you psychologically, emotionally. It impacts your your academic achievement. It's just another hurdle. Right. Um, As if there, there weren't enough. Right. These programs are a testament to medical schools across the country trying to figure out ways to change things, right? And um, I think what we know is that the fact that these numbers are as low as they are in terms of underrepresented groups in medicine across the board is not necessarily because these medical schools aren't trying to recruit. The problem, I think, is, is the pipeline, right? And there are a lot of programs that target underrepresented college students. You know, how can we help you go into medical school? But what we're finding is that's probably too late. Um, getting to the high school students is probably too late. And so now the data is supporting these outreach programs, these pipeline programs really need to extend to middle school or maybe even to elementary school. And, you know, the problem is that this is not a quick fix. Um, It's going to take years to see if these programs are going to help. But we've got to extend our our reach much further than we have. Absolutely. And Jabron, I'll tell you, I had a passion to be a doctor when I was in grade school. Um, I remember I did a book report on Ben Carson. Um, And of course, you guys know he was the first surgeon to do a uh, to separate congenital twins first to ever do it. And I did a book report on him and knowing that he was an African-American surgeon was just mind blowing to me. And that was a huge influence for me to say, okay, if he can do that, I can do it, you know? And so having that influence, my mom's a nurse as well, but I think a lot of kids take, you know, they look at their role models and that's kind of what they look at to say, I want to be that. You know, and so I had that experience. Um, But like you said, that pipeline, I definitely agree with you. That needs to start a lot younger. Yeah. And so, you know, you you were well, it seems like always a pretty driven kid as a as a youngster. Uh, And, you know, you graduated high school. You you grew up in Oklahoma City area. Right. And you went to college. Right. I want I want you to kind of tell us about your journey into medical school, because I think it is a. it's an important story for, for those uh, who wonder if they can do it. Sure. So, yeah, it's been a long journey, Jabron, for sure. Like I said, I, I had a passion always to be a physician, but, you know, I had to go through a lot in my life to actually get to this point. Like I said, I'm a little bit older. I'm 32. Did well growing up, going to school, single, single mother household, and she was raising us two boys. And my dad, he was there early on, but then he kind of left the picture and 
have my stepfather come into the picture and he was a huge addition to our family. But when I graduated high school was when I kind of started hanging around some, some people that I probably shouldn't have. And just being young, I was 17, just starting college and just very immature and not understanding like a lot of people, you know, what, what it really takes to succeed at that level. So I did a few years of college and, you know, I had my tuition being paid for by the OLAP. They were paying my tuition, which I kind of think hindered me, you know, at that point, just not really fully appreciating and having to pay for college very much. I think I probably would have appreciated that more. So, but what happened is went from staying off campus and then I ended up moving on campus and just the bill that I received was just crazy. And I'm like, okay, I have to pay this. And how am I going to pay it? You know, I was working throughout college waiting tables, but I just felt like, how am I going to pay this? You know? And so that got me out of school. I mean, you, you know, at most colleges, I think you have to have pretty much a zero balance to enroll in subsequent semesters. And so um, I just discontinued at that point and just went on waiting tables and the lifestyle that comes with that of going out all the time, going to bars, going out in the party lifestyle. And so I lived in that for a while and really all the money I was making, I was just blowing partying, you know, going out and not really saving up and putting it towards getting back in school. I just didn't really have a whole lot of hope or purpose in my life. So I did that for about five years, man. And um, what happened, uh, which was a huge turning point, is my only brother, he passed away. He was he's about two and a half years older than me. But, you know, most of his life, he was in and out of jail, kind of trying to live in the streets. And, you know, he he was on opiates, you know, and, and very addicted to those. And so seeing him go through that and. Um, again, in and out of jail, you know, just different stuff. But, you know, he ended up um, dying. And I think, you know, that lifestyle was a huge part of what led to his death. But when that happened, man, just seeing my mom respond to that was really just life changing, man. Like her reaction to losing her firstborn son and just like, I'll never forget, you know, her crying the way she did. And that just changed my whole world, Jabron. I mean, it was, I mean, just life wasn't the same, but I mean, <clears throat> it took me about a week after that to kind of get my head on my shoulders. I really was really just shocked by it. But man, after that funeral, I had my youth pastor who did the funeral. And so after it was done, he said, Oach, um, just come out to Arkansas if you need to get away. I think you should really come out and just stay at our house. We have a room for you. Um, if you want to just sit in the room and just stay in there and not talk to us, that's fine. If you want to, you know, hang out with us, that's fine too. You know, but he really gave me that chance to just get away and clear my head and, and reflect on some things. And so I did, you know, I went with them. We jumped in the car together. And before that trip, I always looked at him as just a perfect person. You know, he was my pastor and, growing up and I just thought he had it all together, but he really opened up to me on that trip back to his house, uh, driving to Arkansas and said, you know, 
Um, he had a son that was suicidal and just opening up about some different things. I was like, man, it uh, really made me feel comfortable. So I try to move this along, but um, it was a great time being there with his family in Arkansas. We went to a couple of men's conferences, uh, things at his church and stuff like that. And But a huge thing for me, Jabron, was getting sober. You know, I had been drinking a whole lot and partying and that type of thing. And I was like, if I'm going to try to get back in school and try to make a change, it starts with me just being sober, sober minded, you know. And so that weekend was a good chance for me to just kind of sober up and, and reflect on some things. And so when I came back, I was ready to get back in school. And so all the money that I was spending, you know, going out, I started saving it all up. And next thing you know, like six months later, I was back in school, man, like paid off like an $8,000 debt. Lump sum. Too. Lump sum, man. Lump sum. And it was just just my world was just totally different and, and my sense of urgency about things. But but from that point, man, uh, I had to finish my junior, senior year in college and I made straight A's, man. That's crazy. Straight A's. Sober as a gopher. <laughs> just just killed it. And of course, my family was supporting me the whole time, and that was huge. But so I did that um, and applied to medical school. And even with my junior and senior year being so great, you know, my my first few years, my GPA, you know, I could only improve it so much. But it was enough for me to apply to that bridge program at my at the medical school, and so. I um, took my MCAT, did just well enough, had just a good enough GPA and got in. But, you know, that's kind of my story, man. Just, you know, just how my brother and losing him just, you know, changed my whole reality of of what I was doing and seeing that addiction and seeing, you know, that that could have easily been me, you know. And so I was like, seeing my mom go through that, through that, I was like, man, it's time to man up and I just thank my family and I thank God really is a huge part of my life too of of how everything worked out and how my life I just feel has so much purpose you know is my brother's life and death has a lot of meaning and just how we're all stronger and closer together as a family how we've all grown personally from the experience is has been really incredible man and so yeah I'm glad you know to be able to share my story with you and other people well, for when I first heard that that part of your your life, that story, I was just amazed by your ability to turn something tragic into something remarkable. And 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 most people aren't able to do that. And I and the reason why I wanted you to come on and lean in was I know that there are people out there who are like, "Yeah, I'd like to go to medical school, but I've got this many credits left or, you know, I still owe this much money or you know, my my family upbringing wasn't, you know, like some of these other people. There's opportunity out there. And although depending on your background, your color, your gender, where you're from, your window of opportunity may be a different size. Sometimes you got to pull that window open a bit. Sometimes you got to jump through it while it's closing. Um, but I think you did an amazing job of taking advantage of the opportunities that you had. And, you know, you're halfway through over halfway through medical school and you got your rotations ahead of you. And I'm just excited to see, you know, what you become um, and I'm proud to know you and and uh, just want to thank you for sh- being willing to share this story, because I do think uh, people are going to benefit from it. So, again, I know you're studying for your tests. Thank you for taking the time. Good luck 
and everything you do, uh, you know, we'll be uh, be checking in on you and keeping up. Love it. And thank you for having me, Jabron. It's been awesome. Let me know your thoughts about this episode. I'm easy to reach on Twitter at Jabron Pasha, on Instagram at What Medicine Did, and on unlockingimplicitbias.com. Thanks for leaning in with me.